We are in part two of our series, Just Breathe. <sighs> Do that real quick. <sighs> Do some breathing exercise. How does that feel? Does that feel good? Does that feel great in this, uh, in this movie theater with uh, air that probably hasn't left the building in a while? <laughs> Still feels good, right? Still feels good. It's probably better than being cold outside. But uh, th- this is a great uh, series. It's based on the book Fresh Air by Chris Hodges. And I taught this many years ago, and I'm kind of taking a new flavor on it and, and bringing some stuff out. But it's a book that I like to go to often when I'm feeling like I'm in a place where it's just dead. A, a time where I feel like I'm not hearing from God. Have you ever been there? Like, you just, is this for me, God? Is this it? Is this life? Is this the Christian life? It just feels stagnant and dry. The doldrums. And many of us have been in the doldrums. And uh, what we learned last week is the doldrums is an old sailor term. When you went into the doldrums, uh, it was a place with no wind, and people would often die there. But we don't want to be in the doldrums. God wants to give us life. He wants to give us a breath of fresh air. And we want to start off our new year with a breath of fresh air. Amen. We want that. And uh, just to give us some, some uh, push this season into what God has for us. And there are four truths we're going to talk about, four breathing principles that I, I want to talk about in this series. And... Uh, but we're going to start with our verse, the, the verse that we're dealing with. This is kind of the theme verse of this series. And if you're with me, you can turn to your notes page or you can open up your app, turn to the events section in the Apple, uh, Apple your uh, Bible.com app, and you'll find our events there, and you can do it electronically if you're more of a phone person or a gearhead or something like that. And uh, we're going to look at this scripture. This is, this is, this is what sets everything up. And it says this, This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. God has put before us two different trees. He's put two different paths. He's he's placed it in front of us. And he asks us, you can either choose blessings or you can choose curses. You can choose life. Or you can choose death. But he asks us, choose life. Would you choose life? Do you want to choose life? And it's always a choice. There's always a choice involved. And and this week, I'm going to share with you one of, I believe, is one of the most life-changing principles you'll ever learn. Um, And uh, it deals with a verse about the end times, talking about the end times. How many of you believe that we may be in the end times? Or you absolutely believe that we are in the end times? (laughs) It feels like we're in the end times, right? And we don't know the time or day that the the Lord will come, but we do know that there are attitudes of this age. And today I want to talk about some of those attitudes that, that we may be dealing with. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 3 says this, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, Disobedient to their parents, amen, all the parents in here, (laughs) ungrateful, unholy, without love, and unforgiving. I want to deal with the last four of those 
in the last days, I see more of this kind of at a general level. First of all, ungratefulness. An ungrateful attitude. An attitude of I deserve more. Instead of looking at what we have, we look at what we want and we want it more and we're not grateful for what we have. A perfect example of this is technology. Hello, I, it, the, you, you get the best TV, you know, out there, but then uh, a, a 10K comes out, and you got to have the 10K, right? Because, because the 4K, the 6K, the 8K, I don't even know if they have 10K yet. I'm just saying, a 10K is out there somewhere. I bet it's already developed or whatever. I think it doubles, so I think it's like 8K, 16K. But whatever that looks like, you're, you're just, hey, I, I, this piece, is a, you get a brand new TV, and that's a piece of junk now because i got to have the next thing. You're ungrateful, or the uh, iPhone, for instance, that's a perfect example. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you got the iPhone 15 when it first came out and already had the iPhone 14? Raise your hand. No, I'm just playing. It's true. Like, we, 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 the newest is a little bit better. It's a little bit smaller. It's a little bit faster. It's a little bit lighter. And when we look at what we have, we're like, oh, that's a piece of junk. I, I, don't, I don't want that. It's an ungrateful attitude. Instead of looking at the blessings we have, looking at the greater side of things, you know, like, hey, listen, where I am, I, I am blessed. I have. I, I want bigger. I want better. And we see that. There's this need. There's this constant need for more. There's, this, there's always a, a, a greater need for more. <clears throat> In the book, Progress Paradox, um, it says this. We're, we're, we're getting, in the main gist of the book, is we're getting better off and we're getting more miserable. In Western culture, we're getting better off. We're getting, things are looking better. Things are kind of, uh, we got more. <laughs> We got more comfortable homes. We got more technology. But the more we get, the worse off, the miserable we are. It's like this internal dissatisfaction that's taking place, and we call it choice anxiety. There's all these choices out there now, and we can't figure out what we want. We want it all, and, and there's actually a condition that's going on that people are just getting less grateful and less satisfied and, and, and more uh, about what can I get, a bigger house, bigger car, whatever that might be. We're ungrateful. We have ungrateful attitudes. This world has ungrateful attitudes. The second thing is unholy, unholy attitudes. Uh, unholy, that's, that's kind of a scary word, isn't it? Holy. Uh, you, you think about holy, you're thinking, oh, perfect. You've got to be perfect because God's perfect, right? God's holy. But, but when we talk about holy, we're not talking about perfection. We're it, it, it literally means when it applies to us, being holy is being set apart, that we're different, that we're different people. And when we compromise, when we allow things into our lives, when we compromise with sin or we compromise with the world and we aren't living holy, and God knows that we have people that are, that are believers, that are walking with God, but they're compromising. I'll put God in the center here, but, I, you know, when it comes to this thing, you know what, I can't really let that go. I can't really put that aside. So we let a little bit of that come in, and it destroys us. When you get sin in your life or when you start compromising with sin, it eats you up. It starts hurting. It starts messing you up. I mean, it's hard to live. It affects you spiritually. It affects you mentally. It affects you physically. We all know that. It affects us physically because sin is not good to us physically. And and it robs you of your joy. My mom always says that. You know, don't let, 
Don't let, it, don't, don't let the devil steal your joy. Well, you know what? Sin steals our joy. Sin steals our joy. And we carry around this guilt when we're, when we're living and we're compromising and we're not living holy lives. We should not be scared of holiness. Now, God is, says, be holy as I am holy. You know, you are set apart. You are a different people. And when we look too much like the world, it, it really destroys us. And the world can't fix you. Only Jesus can fix you. Only Jesus can, can make you whole. He's the only one that forgives. He's the only one that cleanses the conscience. If you have a conscience today and you're like, I just can't get past this. I got this knot in my stomach that I can't get rid of. I can't, I can't let it go. This, this dissatisfaction with life and, and knowing that you've done wrong, that, that's sin. That's called sin. And God wants to take that sin. He wants to take the guilt off your heart. He wants to take the guilt out of your stomach and make you free. He wants to give you that. So we live in a world that's constantly living unholy. Unholy. Another attitude is unloving. An unloving attitude. See, you know what love is? There's lots of different definitions of love, but when we talk about God's love, and you're smart people, you know this, you've studied you studied love in the scriptures, and, and there's this God love, this agape love. It's not about a feeling. You know, it's not about a romantic interest or anything like that. It's not about an obligation. It's, it's an unconditional, unselfish love that God has for people that regardless when we were yet sinners, Christ gave his life for us. It wasn't based on a condition. It was unconditional. This is the love that God is. And love is intentionally choosing to do something uh, caring or helpful regardless of the cost or regardless of the consequences of what may happen to you. But when we love people, it seems like we want to love people to get love in return. Like, like I'm, I'm loving this person, or I'm taking care of this person, or I'm doing this because there, there's like selfish endeavors in this end times attitude of unlovingness. But, but no love uh, instead of... of think, think of it this way. Think you're, you're doing... Your, your heart is polluted and poisoned when you have an attitude of unloving, when you don't care. I think we live in a culture today that has lost its care for others, has lost its love for others. Uh, in, in the last days, no... We aren't any longer uh, moved by love for one another. That's what the Bible says. We're, we're not loving one another. That's why we have the conditions that are happening in our society now with sex trafficking, with uh, a disregard for life and the unborn, because we've lost a love, a, a selfless love for others. We've just thrown it to the side. We're more concerned about ourselves. It's kind of a selfish love rather than a selfless love, and it, and it pollutes and it destroys. It's an unloving attitude. And then the worst of these is an unforgiving attitude. We're unforgiving. Unforgiveness is probably the most dangerous because when we don't forgive, when we're unforgiving, it, it is like a bitter root that stays within us. It doesn't get better. It doesn't heal. It doesn't go away over time. We just wear it. And it creates this bad attitude. And if you don't forgive others, it doesn't only affect you, it affects everybody around you. Why? Because you're holding a grudge. Why? Because, because your attitude, you're, you're carrying that attitude wherever you go. Have you ever met that person that's just like has a bitter 
outlook in life. And, and every time they walk into a room, you just you don't really want to be around them. You know, like, like uh, they're just angry. They're just angry. And they may not be necessarily angry at you, although they may be projecting that anger on you. But there's something deeper going on. There's some unforgiveness in their hearts. And, and your problem isn't all of this. Your problem isn't unforgiveness. Your problem isn't even people. If you're, if you're practicing unforgiveness, uh, your problem isn't people. It's, it, it, your problem is the devil. Because Satan wants you to be unforgiving. Satan wants you to be unholy. Satan wants you to be uncaring. Satan wants you to be all these because he has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. And the devil doesn't want to see you fulfill that plan in your life. And you can't experience any fresh air in your life because you're living in one of these areas, this attitude, this end-time attitude. If you're there and you're feeling that dryness in your life, perhaps investigating these attitudes is where... We are, but John 10, 10, and I love this scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, I love the progression there. He, he comes to steal. Not only does he come to steal, he comes to kill. He wants to kill you. Yes, Satan wants to kill you. He doesn't want to just steal the joy from your heart, steal the, the, the love from your life, steal that God thing that you're missing from you. He wants to kill you. And not only does he want to kill you, he wants to wipe you out of existence. That's what the enemy wants to do. But it says, I have come that they may have life. They may have life, and they may have not only life, but life to the full. Choose life. God says, I lay before you life and death. Choose life. Jesus came so that you would not be destroyed by the enemy, but that you could have life and life to the full, that you can have an oozing, overflowing joy. Jesus calls it a cup that, that runs over and keeps running over, that you can dip into any time you feel that dryness, that place, that, that you feel that desert that you're walking through. You have a joy that is unspeakable. And we have that available to us. And God wants you to live that kind of life. So I want to talk about some good medicine today. That's the title of my message, good medicine. Good medicine. We need some good medicine. Can y'all laugh a little bit? Will y'all laugh a little bit? There's something about laughing, laughing. Don't laugh at me, you know. I know I'm, I'm not the best speaker in the world. And I know that uh, I look funny, but... Laughter is good medicine. I love how some, some versions of this say laughter is good medicine. But Proverbs 17.22 says a cheerful heart is good medicine. You need medicine. When you're sick, when you're in the doldrums, you're sick. When you're in a place that's dry, you're sick. You need medicine. And there's good medicine available to us through uh, the, the Word of God. A cheerful heart is Good medicine. Isn't it nice when you're around people uh, when you're going through a bad time? When you're dealing with something, when you're trying to process stuff and you get in a room with somebody and you just start laughing, your friends are around and you just start cutting up and laughing and you forget about all your problems, right? Because it's good medicine. Or you cut on a comedy or something like that. Clean comedy, by the way, okay? But you put that on, you know, and you're like, oh, man, I feel so much better. It takes your worries away. It takes your problems away. It's good medicine. It's good medicine. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Some of you need to proclaim that today. The joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 
The joy of the Lord. Hello. The joy of the Lord. Let's have some joy in this place today. Amen. The joy of the Lord. Why don't you give a clap of joy to the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Even you backseat Baptists back there. Come on, lift your hands up. Joy of the, amen. There they are. Hallelujah. Oh, the Lord is your strength. It says, Paul says, rejoice. And then again, I say rejoice. That means you need to rejoice and rejoice at all times. Nehemiah, that beautiful scripture gives gives us a taste of joy that we're experiencing the joy of the Lord. So my goal is to help you experience that joy, to get a breath of fresh air, to get that breathing principle going today. And, and, and simply put, here's what I want to say. Your attitude determines your altitude. We're going to talk about attitude today. Your attitude determines your altitude. I love how Zig Ziglar put it. It's your attitude, not your aptitude, that will determine your altitude. It's not how smart you are or how great you are at business or whatever that makes you a great business person. It's your attitude. Your attitude. When you walk into a room, you could be the greatest business mind in the world when you walk into a room full of people working with you. But if you have a bad attitude, nobody wants to follow you. Nobody wants to listen to you. There's something about walking in a room and having a great attitude that lifts the spirits in the room, that gets people wanting to go and and be and do. And it's a great thing. For for most of us, our our attitudes will not take care of themselves. Because a lot of times we say, well, you know, I have a bad attitude this morning, but, you know, it'll work out during the day. I'm just not going to deal with it. No, that's not how it works. Because life is 10% about what happens and 90% about how you react to what happens. So how are you reacting to what happens is the question. Because things are going to happen, and it's really not about feelings. I mean, you can feel bad. We're going to wake up. We're going to have bad mornings, right? We're going to wake up and like, I don't want to do anything today. I feel terrible today. But, but it's about, again, it's about a choice. How, how do we react to, to th- the things that are, that are happening to us? Is it, is it slowing us down? I love Hebrews 12, and I've taken it from many different perspectives, but I, I love the idea of, of running with perseverance. Running with perseverance. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, we got hindrance and we got sins, okay? And, and I love how he separates hindrances and sins. Hindrances may not necessarily be sins, but they're attitude issues. You might have some attitude issues you need to throw off because you're not able to get to where God wants you to be or God wants to pursue in your life or the destiny that God has put ahead of you. Or, or, the, or He's got great plans for your life. He wants you to be successful in the place that He's called you to be, right? He, he wants you to be, do that. But we have hindrances. We're always wearing hindrances in, in our hearts. It's weighing us down. It's like a runner that has, has weights on him and he's just trying to get to the finish line. Have you ever ran? with weights on you know those little bags that you put on your your legs and you're just trying to run you know it's supposed to be it's supposed to help you get stronger but it's exhausting that's what we wear you know when a runner runs what do they do they try to strip down as much as they possibly can in fact in this context they were naked okay (laughs) the the olympics and all that they were running you know runners would run naked it's unbelievable but that's exactly history it's just how it was and and paul knew what he was talking about when they when he said that the people in that day were like, oh, yeah, I've got, to get, I've got to get as light as possible. And sometimes those hindrances become sin. If we allow those attitudes to, to possess us, that unforgiveness, that bitterness in your heart, that anger that you have, 
that way of living that you've been compromising. You look great on the outside, but on the inside you're kind of flirting with things. You know, you're flirting with places that you don't know, need to be or, or things that you shouldn't be partaking in, and, and, and it damages uh, what, what God wants for you. It, it keeps you from, from, from moving forward. And uh, So let us run with perseverance. You know, that word perseverance means it's gonna be, there's going to be some effort in it. There's going to be some, some push that we're going to have to put in it. There's going to be some sweat. There's going to be some tears, you know, from time to time. But we run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. We got a race marked out for us, guys, a race. And it goes on to say, Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith, we got a, we got a goal in mind, Jesus. Jesus is there for us to run to something for the joy that he had. He gave his life because he knew that he would have to endure the cross, right? despising the shame, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father because there is a reward waiting for those who persevere, that we don't have to look like the world. We don't have to walk into hindrances with these, these attitudes, that we can, we can walk with a, with a great attitude. I love how um, a, a pastor shared it with me one time. He said he was, he was with this senior adult, and he was being put into a nursing home. It was a very successful senior adult. It was successful in business and successful in life. And it got to the point where he was so unhealthy he had to go to a, a nursing home. And that's always a sad thing, I, I think, for when you look on the outside in, right? I mean, you know, this person has just been a go-getter their entire lives, and now they're having to resort to, to care, you know, going in and care. And, and it always looks like a bad thing to us, you know, oh, man, the nursing home situation. But he was happy. He was happy. He was joyful. And he asked him, he said, you know, why are you so happy? I mean, I just love this happiness, this joy that you have in your heart. You just seem like nothing just ever gets you. And here's what he said. He said, happiness is something you decide on ahead of time. Whether I like my room or not doesn't depend on how the furniture is arranged. It's how I arrange my mind. How I arrange my mind. Now, I don't want to get too much in psychology here, but you need to, we need to change our thinking a bit, right? It's a choice we have to make every day. We need to pre-decide that we're going to have a great day, that we're going to have a joyful day. And whatever the situation brings, we can either see the bad in it or see the good in it. And, and how do you do that? Well, pray first. We're in a season of prayer, right? Pray first. Pray first. Here's a great prayer to pray. Let, let's, see, let's see if this helps. If you can pray this. Say, Dear Lord, the first of the day, you could say this. Dear Lord, so far today, I am doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self-indulgent. That, that's good, really. That's, that's great. I have not whined. I have cur not cursed. Or eating any chocolate. <laughs> All right. Doing good, right? However, I'm going to get out of bed in a few minutes. <laughs> and I will need a lot more help after that. Amen. That's a great prayer, right? <laughs> but seriously, the, the, the psalmist says this in 1914. He says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. 
O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If we wake up every day, let my life be pleasing to you. Let everything I say flow out blessings and and, and things of you, God. I want to start my day off that way to pray first. Pray first before you start your day. Set things in order, whether it's a one-second prayer or a one-minute prayer. Some of you are an hour prayers. Praise God for those. But we just need to set the tone. Pray first. The second thing we want to do to defeat these attitudes, these end-time attitudes, is develop a high appreciation for life. Have you ever met people like that? They're just always happy about life. Do you want to be around those people? Don't answer that, okay? Because some of you don't have a high appreciation for life. <laughs> but how do, people, how do people do that? How do people have this attitude of life is just going to be good? And here's how they do, do this. They know that God is going to work it out for the good. They know that God is going to work everything out, no matter what we go through, no matter how hard life is, no matter what valleys we walk through. God always has a plan, and God always works it out. Amen? God will always work it out for His good and His greater purpose, and I can have that attitude. Look, Paul had that attitude. I always go back to Paul because Paul had a pretty hard life. Let's just be honest. We can glamorize Paul all we want to, but Paul was the most humble man that went through all kinds of circumstances, uh, even though he was filled with the power of God and, and wrote, wrote a, a large portion of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, he says, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. He's dealing with sorrow, but he's always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. I might be poor, I might be without anything, but I'm making others rich because of my attitude. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. I possess everything that I need in Jesus Christ. Even though I have nothing, I am am determined to make my thoughts think of good things. That that I, I possess everything. The secret to that is being grateful. Being grateful. <laughs> wow. What if we were more grateful? 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, 18, not in your notes. Give, think, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be grateful in all circumstances. And when you wake up in the morning and it's cold and miserable outside because I don't like winter and I'm just telling on myself here and I'm, I'm being grumpy and going through the house, am I willing to give thanks to the Lord just because this is a day the Lord has made? Let me rejoice. He has allowed me to live. He, you know, Learn to enjoy winter a little bit. Some of you love winter and there's something wrong with you. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm still praying for you. Um, I'm ready for warm weather. I'll just be honest. I, I like sunshine. I, like, I don't like it when it's gloomy. I don't like it when it's cold. Um, but I've learned to be grateful. I've learned that this season can be a better season than summer. If I just change my attitude, whether it's raining, whether it's sunny, whether there's trials, whether there's blessings, I am grateful. I am grateful. I am grateful. And we change our mindset by being grateful. The third thing we can do is find something positive in everything. Find something positive in everything. Someone once said this, there, there is something positive in everything. There's something po- there is something positive in everything. We can actually look at any situation and find a positive edge to it. 
After all, is it really the end of the world? Is it really going to be that bad? Is it really over? Maybe put the, little, the really statement on the side when you're asking a question. Is it over? Really? Is my life a disaster? Really? Does everybody hate me? Really? <laughs> That's where we tend to go with our, our negative thoughts. But find the positive in everything. Find the positive in everything. I, I've been praying. I've been seeking God uh, for a place of worship for our, our church. Because if I look at the negative of what we have here, we have people who, who have to work really hard and we have a lot of turnover in our volunteers because of that. And it's been, it's been, a, it's been a, a growth issue, you know, for us. We have a smaller building. Uh, we, we, we thought we were going to stay here for a couple of months, but we ended up being here a lot longer because everything shut down during the pandemic. And unfortunately, things haven't really opened up in Virginia Beach as far as schools and places to meet and things like that. So, so, we're, so I, could, I could look at that and say, oh, we're always going to be right where we are, right? Or I can say, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to share the Word of God with you guys today. Amen. I'm blessed that we have a place to meet. We could be out. There's been, you know, during the pandemic, we moved seven times. There was a few weekends where we didn't know where to go, so we met in the park, then we went to the beach. And I'm telling you, it was, that was, it was tough times. But we're still here. By the grace of God. God has a plan for us and we're still here. I can think positive about where we are and what we're doing. And we got great people here who are ready to change Virginia Beach for the glory of God. And I can think positive about these things. And we have to, to retrain our minds to think these ways. That's why Philippians 4.8 is a good uh, uh, psychology 101 principle to be straight. I mean, this is just a principle that we can take home. And you, you've heard me preach it over and over again. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, everything that is excellent, praiseworthy, think of such things. We need to think of those things. It's a retraining of our minds because many of us, we've been trained to think negatively since childhood. We have a, a um, I've heard it said this way, we have a ditch dug through our minds for the years and years and years of shoveling and shoveling that direction, you know, and, and, and it's hard to break out of that mold. But it takes digging another path. But it doesn't just happen immediately. It takes time. It's like, it's like a, a, a car going down a highway. It wears down and wears in and it creates a path, right? Or maybe you're, you, you bicycled when you were a kid and you had that path in your yard you always took and then it kind of wore out that little, that little bicycle path because you went that way over and over and over and over again. That's what happens when you're young and, and through life you've been trained to think a certain way. But what if you took another direction? You made a choice that I'm going to think of good things. I'm going to think of these pure and noble and right and, and lovely things, these admirable things. And I, you start doing that day. You wake up every morning and make a choice that I'm going to think about these things. And you begin to take that different path. And your little bike goes rolling and you're going through that. And you keep doing that and doing that and doing that and doing that until you have a whole nother trail. You've rewired your thinking. And we need to do that. This is a, this is a psychological principle. Isn't, isn't the Word of God good? It's teaching us how to retrain our minds. And that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to think of such things. Think of such things. And then finally, turn everything over to God. 
We need to turn everything over to God. In fact, uh, the truth is, trouble is coming your way. I hate to say that, but you can have the greatest year of your life, but you're still going to have troubled moments. I'm believing for the greatest year of your life, but you can still have troubled times, and you will. You will. Every day you'll have a reason to have a bad attitude. Every day you wake up, I, I wake up some morning, I don't want to be happy. <laughs> I don't want to go out. I don't, I don't want to do anything. I, I just, I, I've gone through it, you know, and there's some mornings I just want to just, let me just sleep in and just forget about the day and forget about things. Yeah, we can do that. Uh, and the mistake isn't having a problem, it's, it's what you do with it from that point. Because you're going to have problems, but what are you going to do? How are you going to react to that problem? The secret is this. One of the reasons why we're not happy, uh, we're trying to handle things ourselves. There's a burden when you try to handle. There's, there's this place in you, you know, you just, you, there's this tension inside of you. And, and you feel like I've just got to do it my way. I've got to do it right. And, and I, I have to be perfect. And I have to be this. And it, it's hard. There's this, this thing. And, and we're anxious. It, it, it. But we're not meant to live that way. We're not meant to take the burden on ourselves. We're not meant to hold all the weight ourselves, guys. We're not meant to live that way. We have a God that wants to take those anxieties and He wants us to, to, he wants to walk it out with us. He wants us to release it to Him. We need to let God in. Turn everything, not just some things, but everything over to God. I promise you this principle will, will make a difference in your life if you turn everything over to God. And, the, and, and Philippians 4, 6, 7 says like this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. Give thanksgiving. So, so be anxious about nothing. You know? But have you, when, the last time you were anxious, did you stop and pray? Did you turn it over to God? Not only did you pray and petition, which God wants us to do, did you give thanksgiving for what God already has for you? What God has already done for you? Have you been grateful and just, just think? I, I, I can tell you just, just even the last couple of days. There's been some tough days that I'm just... You know, I could, have, I could have focused on what I didn't have or where I wasn't or, or what was going on. Had some situations uh, in my personal life that were, were taking place. And you know what? You know what I did? In, in the middle of that, that dry place that I was for, for, that, for that time, I started praising Jesus. I started thanking Jesus that He was there and He has never left me and I know You have a plan for my life and I know I'm a child of Yours and I thank You that I have a roof over my head, that I have a family, I have a bless, I'm have blessed with a church family that loves me. I have everything that I need in the name of Jesus and I just thank Him and I rejoice that He has given me everything that I need and I, and I can't explain it, guys. I don't know, and, and this is where the Scripture goes, I can't explain it, but there was this peace. It's like this settling peace that comes over your heart. When you're dealing with tension, there's a settling peace that comes over your life. And, and, and it's just, it just calms you. So with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what does it say? And the peace of God. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. 
Some of you may need that right now. You may need that. You might need some peace in your life. That's why Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So I want to give you the second breathing principle. Second breathing principle. And it's in this scripture. Philippians 2, 5.11 says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature, the very nature of a servant. He humbled Himself and became one of us. <coughs> being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue will confess heaven and earth and everything in earth, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Be Christ-like. So what do we do? We do breathing principle number two. Choose a Christ-like attitude. Wake up every day and say, I'm going to be more like Christ. I'm going to have a Christ-like attitude.